0: I'm in max max, max. max, You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG podcast. I'm in max 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 max. 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to season twenty-eight, episode twelve of Happy Jack's RPG podcast. My name is Stu.
1: and this is Tappy.
0: And that new feature that that Zoom that I just commented on before we started actually f- screwed up OBS, <laughs> which is why, which is why we awesome. didn't start the first time I played the music. So, uh, in this episode of Happy Jacks RPG podcast, we're going to start a couple new, th- new weekly things. One is, uh, I'm calling the initiative role, which is a sort of like, uh, uh, little bits of beginning advice for GMs. Uh, and then, uh, we're going we have an email from, uh, uh, who's it from? It is from Devon in Portland, and it, it is a report and a question for the show, and then we're going to end it with a, a sort of collaborative world-building exercise that's going to go on for a while, probably maybe months. I don't know. We'll have to see. And, uh, and then I'll collect all the contributions to that world, and then I'll publish it and put it on the web page so people can peruse it, use it in whatever way they want. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And we do this show live at 10.37 p.m. Well, usually 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Saturday mornings. Uh, and it's got, at some point, it'll go back to Fridays. I'm not sure when, though. But it, it's on Saturday mornings for an hour. Every other week, once we hit July, I think we go weekly again. And we'll probably, probably be in person by that point. So at least that's the way it's looking. So um okay so my the my first sort of um uh GMing advice thing is I'm going to give you like a little scenario you're at you're you're at a let's say let's say a game convention and you get in the elevator and you're on like the you're on the executive floor 14th floor right and it's a smart elevator so there's not a whole bunch of time and you're on the 14th floor and you're going down to the second floor where which is where all the RPG section is right and so, and and you get in the elevator and there's someone there and they're like I'm just about to GM my very first game and I'm super nervous. And they, they recognize it. They're like, oh, you're one of those happy tax guys. Expert. Right? So can you give me any any jamming advice before I start? And ping, and the elevator is close. And tick, 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 tick. What is your advice?
1: Are you talking to me?
0: Yeah. I'm not talking to me.
1: <laughs> 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 um... Uh- Um, I would say uh, uh, don't be afraid to make shit up on the fly. Uh, You're going to go off script. So it's okay and I think fun to uh, go off script whenever they decide to go and just roll with it. Okay. You You know. You should know your material and if you know your material, you can tell them anything you want because it will all be uh, consistent. And consistency is key.
0: There you go. That That is the nugget. That is the nugget. I mean, players, assuming the GM allows it, players will get you off your script. Yeah. Inevitably.
1: Especially because it's it's really hard to, like... Oh, gosh. If, if the players get the wrong idea at the beginning, you're fucked. And they will always get the wrong idea. Yeah. Um, and once they have that little nugget of information, everything they do will be based off of that first nugget of, of information.
0: And every um, new thing that you give them is going to be colored by and, and informed by their incorrect first conclusion.
1: Right. And you cannot control that, in my opinion. No. You just can't. So, once you realize what that is, um, our uh, the human brain likes consistency. We like things to make sense. We like patterns. So, y- y- if you go with those patterns um, and you, you can go in that direction and go off script, everybody's going to have a great time.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> this gets back to the, the, the bear bear hunting the first time we played savage worlds it was supposed to be about discovering like a secret nazi conspiracy in the middle of the uh, mountains around flagstaff arizona and there's an underground bunker with a giant nazi dirigible and all kinds of stuff cool stuff was supposed to happen but i made a little newspaper for the first session and on it it just <laughs> just a fil- just as filler <laughs> it's like oh there's been a bear attack and it's killed some campers,
1: and like a bear attack. That must be evil. And that check that out.
0: So they went and they shot the fuck out of a bear, rather than seeing any of the other stuff. And f- they had fun. And, and and at the end of it, I told them because I let them do what they were going to do, okay. obviously. Because <clears throat> I mean, to me, it's not. I mean, if you're going to have that sort of metagame conversation, you really want to have it like a session zero, where you say, okay, this is what this is. This is the tone we're looking for. This is blah 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 blah. Right. But to stop like in the middle of a game and say, "Okay, you guys have made a a incorrect assumption about the it, it, about the, the elements that you 've gotten i don 't that se- that feels very unfun to me to, be, to stop the game and say, Okay, wait yeah. a second the bet the bear isn't wasn 't even meant to be a red herring that was just filler." <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: It's like, oh, by the way, you guys are wrong. Right. It's not something that the GM really should do. Because if the player's having fun, they're playing their characters and they're doing their thing.
0: Right. And and you got to remember, I mean, the, the, the collaborative storytelling part of role-playing games is extremely important. And that involves the players, and that involves the GM also giving and taking, and maybe throwing will, away prep.
1: I like, I hate the agency discussion, but you are, in a very metagame kind of way taking away their ability to choose to do something other than what you have planned for them to do. Right. And, and that's why my advice would not be make sure the first kernel of information is X. Be, because you just can't predict how they are going to interpret that.
0: Absolutely. Especially
1: players who are like really, really, really into like a backstory they've made. Mm-hmm. because they will color their decision because they are role-playing. They're trying to be that character in a way that you probably won't be able to uh, know beforehand.
0: I agree. All right. Uh, do you want to read the, the email we got, or do you want to split it? It's kind of long. It's a couple yeah. of pages. You want to start it? You want me to start it? I'll okay. start it. Okay.
1: Um, Dear Jackie Happers. Oh, I like what you've done there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought it would happen to me.
0: Now, should I mention what that, what that is? Is Is that, that is it old enough now where we need to explain the I never thought it would happen to me meme? I don't
1: know. Um, perhaps.
0: There used to be a magazine called Forum that was put out by Penthouse. Mm-hmm. I think it was Penthouse. Uh, and it was basically a bunch... It Mostly it was letters to the editor. And it was people telling their sort of Oh, here's this erotic thing that happened to me. It was basically word porn. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some pictures, but it was mostly word porn. It was stories about people, and then this happened, and then and then the pool boy came over, it's one of those things. And 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 a lot of those stories always started with, "I never thought it would happen to me." Dear forum, I never <laughs> thought it would happen to <laughs> me, but and then on goes the story. Anyway,
1: go ahead. Mm-hmm. But all about the butt, <laughs> right? Um. <laughs> Um, since my first formal role-playing experience playing AD&D First Edition with my friend's older brother as DM all the way back in the early 80s, I've dreamt of running my own ongoing campaign. For years, despite garnering several friends who also enjoyed the role-playing hobby and playing a wide variety of RPGs, I never managed to keep a campaign going for more than two or three sessions. It wasn't for a lack of ideas, quite the contrary. I've never been able to write a one-shot adventure without imagining uh, an accompanying campaign. That said, adventure would kick off. Yeah, I (laughs) get (laughs) some (laughs) problem. (laughs) The problem seems to be, uh, or problem seems to have a mixture of what we would refer to colloquially as gamer ADD, where I would become captivated with the possibilities of a different RPG every week or two, and after high school, the inability to meet a regular game session. Throughout the decades, the idea of a regular weekly game session eluded me, always for a variety of reasons, but primarily because of my seeming inability to stay focused on one game. <clears throat> ah. Mm, I, I, I know these feels. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I've wondered if I actually do have some form of attention deficit disorder. So my doctor has told me I probably don't. Um, the term now is, uh, is ADHD, like ADD doesn't exist. Like some people think it's a lower form of ADHD, right. but it's been actually been split up into a bunch of different things. Right. Because um, I have ADHD. Right. Uh, <laughs> so my, do- uh, so my doctor has told me I probably don't. So perhaps I just have to affect that I'm just not the sort of person who sees things through to completion forgive please forgive the maudlin self reflection It's been a source of personal frustration um or you can get a second opinion right there are, there are a whole bunch of different like uh a d h d is a big spectrum um uh much, well it it is also one of those like things you're born with kind of like autism and o c d e um, those are all in that spectrum of um, of uh, neurodiversity. Um, and so there are so many different ways that your ADHD can uh, manifest itself that's it's really, really, really difficult to give yourself a diagnosis or compare yourself to your friends um, because everybody has all these different uh, elements to it. Um, but if you feel, if this is something that... that Gives you like big problems in your life, and you've seen one doctor about it. Getting a second opinion is a okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, <clears throat> the The trouble people have and the trouble doctors have is sometimes they are afraid people are are seeking uh, stimulants. So ah, if right. you don't even mention medication, or just like I want to know if I have this or not, um, you'll probably get. A much more fair diagnosis than otherwise.
0: That reminds me of something that I want to mention that has very little to do with ADHD and a lot to do with stimulants. I watched a documentary I think it was on Netflix. I want to try to find it real quick. It was a doc shit, what was it called? I can't remember the name of it. But it was about um, it was about uh, World War II and oh. the Nazi youth use of um, crystal meth during World War II. They had a name for it. It was some kind of uh, God. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, Navo Trill or something. They had some name for it, but it was basically methamphetamine.
1: Well. Uh, is it methamphetamine or amphetamine
0: it was a methamphetamine
1: oh, because wow. they were
0: giving amphetamines because the, the,
1: the I amphetamines guess means were world war one well it, I
0: it, they believe. were uh, and world war two uh, apparently yeah. they were giving uh amphetamines to british pilots or they had experimented with doing it and a, and and the the germans for some reason weren't able to either get or manufacture regular amphetamines so they were but they could make methamphetamine. I don't know why, but there was for some reason they that one they could do and one they couldn't do. Probably Fair the enough. availability of some some chemical that you need to make one and not the other. I don't know. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about that shit. So they and they had the, the they would get these little tubes with the label, and they were cranking this stuff out like tens of tens of millions or hundreds of millions of doses of this stuff was produced during the war and they that fueled they said in in not all the cases but in many cases that fueled the blitzkrieg because they gave it, it they gave it to the tank um the tank crews so the tank crews they would go and they would operate literally for 48 sometimes 72 hours straight at you know full capacity until they broke through and they got whatever lines established they need to get established then they let them crash
1: there are also stories of of shit like that happening in like the big uh, city battles like um, uh, Leningrad and shit like that where Nazi soldiers are are without food fighting for like 72 hours and now man that's a hell of a drug that's a, it's bad shit
0: but I'm trying to remember the name of it I, it was I think it was on it's I think it was on Netflix or it might have been on uh, it might have been on Amazon Prime I don't I don't remember now but it was fascinating because I had no idea I mean I figured in in certain circumstances especially you know in, in situations that are boring or tedious in the desperation of war you need to put people on on amphetamines for a while you put them on amphetamines yeah. right go and, pills Exactly, right. I mean they, they even they even alluded to that in Battlestar Galactica in the in the remake because at one point they have to go on stims because all the pilots have to go out and they're on like 8 hours on, 8 hours off shifts or something like that. And uh and they have a whole episode about about dealing with the effects of the stimulants that they're on. Mm-hmm. But I had no I, I had no idea that it was that pervasive.
1: I am I am absolutely sure that uh they used at least amphetamines, but them using methamphetamines doesn't surprise me. The So the the thing about methamphetamines and what is really interesting about that with um, uh, the Russian counterattack is that, um, so amphetamines fill your, this is a big tangent. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> I know. Your, your, your synapses with dopamines, with dopamine, right? And there are these transporters that take all this, you make tons of dopamine. dopamine, these transporters take this dopamine and shove it into your uh, synapses. Kind of like osmosis sort of thing, but there are these actual, like, organelles that do it. Right, um, and so what what methamphetamine does, so amphetamine makes you make dopamine. the transporters put it in there, they're in there for a little while, then that takes, then they take it back out when your dopamine levels drop. Mm-hmm. What methamphetamine does, it makes you make way more dopamine. then the transporters move in as fast as it possibly can, and then the meth kills the transporters so it can't get back out. Oh boy <laughs> <laughs> or or it shuts them down, but many of them don't unshut down is is kind of how it works. Right. So, that's why your first hit will always be the best you've ever had, but also you are permanently disabled for putting dopamine into your synapse. Right. Which makes it which is the opposite of the stimulant. So, the next time you take the meth, it's a a smaller hit and it kills more of the stimulant, so you take even more to try and get back to that first one.
0: Oh, sure, chasing um, the dragon, right.
1: So it 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 permanently destroys your ability to get dopamine into your synapses, which means that you're lethargic, you're hungry, nothing makes you happy. It, it, it complete, it, it makes you more and more and more unstimulated. Right. Um, now if you are off it for years, those, uh, Those shut down ones can start to come back, Mm -hmm. but it is not. It is in no way guaranteed, and many people are just—they're like, my life has been gray for nine years. Like I don't get happy. I don't like anything, um, and nothing. Nothing can make anything better because methamphetamine is completely destroyed my and also they have now have a form of adhd because they can't concentrate on anything because dopamine is the chemical for salience so nothing means anything nothing is important so think about that for you know year for like six months year years you have these soldiers who are constantly on methamphetamines oh yeah by the time like the russians and the americans are coming in they can take some meth to get back to normal maybe right but you know their their ability to fight is completely destroyed
0: and 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 one of the things they talk about is the fact that inadvertently but at some point during the after the normandy invasion when things started going the wrong way for the nazis that they the allies probably not intentionally but ended up destroying the factory where it, the stuff was called previt mm-hmm. or pervitine p e r v i t i n the name of the the name of this, the 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 movie or the documentary is blitzed nazis on drugs and it's on amazon prime so but it's <laughs> fascinating
1: it's
0: like Nazis on ice. Right, Nazis, right, yeah, like the old Mel Brooks thing. But I, they, and, and I, they explain why, and I didn't quite catch it, because I was kind of watching it in the background, when I, rather than paying, like, full attention to it when I was watching it, but they, they, there was some reason why they couldn't use amphetamines, and they had to use methamphetamine. And the, uh, but that, that fa- the factory where the, where the Pervitine was being produced got destroyed, and then, sudden, now you've got a real fucking problem. Oh, yeah, and 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 the guys that are mostly using this stuff—I mean, I, they, it was pr- apparently fairly widely distributed, but it was mostly tank crews because the tank uh-huh. crews because they're they're sitting in a very valuable, very useful piece of equipment that isn't useful when they're all asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a right. target, so mm-hmm. it, it it's a a bomb magnet at that point. So. So, so I, the, the, and they kind of attribute the part of their, the, the loss of the will to fight is the fact that suddenly their supply got cut off. And yeah, now I what you're it. describing now with the effects of, of methamphetamine on the brain, that makes a lot more, even more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what a tangent. <laughs> anyway. Nazis on drugs. <laughs> but I thought it was crazy. It was like, because I guess back then in Germany, everything was legal. I mean, oh, you yeah, may sure. have to get a, it. May be difficult to get without a prescription, but everything was legal. Mm-hmm. They, didn't know, they didn't know. And, and wow, meth! <laughs> I thought that was crazy. Anyway, yeah. back to the email. Sorry, but
1: yeah, <laughs> meth is is seriously a not even one drug. Like, oh yeah, yeah. When it when it when it comes to like the the shit that they used to tell us when I was in uh, elementary school and high school, like. Wow, like the ability for it to permanently fuck you up, like just the very first time is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, So, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Apparently, what it finally took to be separated from my friends and forced to get my gaming fix via online communication with them, Uh, beginning with Gmail's Google Chat. I began running a uh, second edition ad and d game in the birthright setting with my best friend as a solo player. Then, after a few sessions, uh, playing online makes it real easy to uh, 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 keep a game going. Because travel, especially in Los Angeles, but travel makes it really difficult, I think, to keep a right. game going. Uh, then, after a few sessions, we added another friend from our shared LARPing days. We played short sessions, only about two to two and a half hours once a week. I ran a mix of published short adventures, customized to my taste and setting, and my own ideas. Before I really knew it, I realized I'd been running a campaign for over a year. Excellent. Since then, I've moved to a different state and switched from Google Chat to Discord in Roll 20. I've added more friends from home and LARPing. We decided uh, to start playing the 5th edition rules... So we began a new campaign set in the world of Greyhawk, which I chose because it was my first campaign world I played back in my friend's brother's game in the 80s. We played for about three hours once a week, and we're about to play our 69th session. Nice. Uh, In addition to the D&D campaign, uh, we also have a Saturday night gaming session where anyone can GM something if they like. We've got several ongoing campaigns in different game systems from Marvel Super Heroes, Call of Cthulhu to Rhesus. Rhesus?
0: Rhesus. Uh, oh, I know th- I used to know what that was. Is that a- I think it's a genetic uh, ge- generic system.
1: I am I am not familiar with it.
0: Uh the anything R- RPG. I'm trying to remember I, I thought it stood for something.
1: So it really is a GURPS loan. Well, it's
0: it, it's 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 by it's by S, S John Ross, who was involved in Steve Jackson Games at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something he. I, I think it's something he did on his own.
1: Oh, uh, earlier versions of the game were called Gux, the Generic Universal Comedy System. Oh, there you go. A, a parody of GURPS distributed privately in 1989. Rhesus Latin for laughter is a comedy game. Wow. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, that's interesting. Uh, last year we were able to commemorate our dark future by running a few sessions in Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Um, I played a few sessions in Cyberpunk twenty twenty, and wow, is that an old system?
0: Right. Well, he's. <laughs> play, I mean, he's playing what D and D second edition in this. This is must be a while right. ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, old systems can still be really fun.
0: Yeah. Some of them.
1: Some of them, <laughs> Some of them you realize Some of them... why new systems are new. Right.
0: Yes. Some of them lack charm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Some of them lack charm.
0: <laughs> like the old traveler. I was looking, oh it might be kinda cool to run old traveler, and then I get opened up the giant the giant uh combat table. <laughs> Where it lists all the weapons that exist, and it lists all the types of armor and gives you the two hit modifiers, because they didn't use DR. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> no. Oh yeah, they, they thought that these tables were a great idea, because it would save time.
0: Exactly, rather than writing all this stuff out and saying, this type of armor protect, does this against this weapon, and this against this weapon, and the, No. That was, a, that was a major innovation. DR was a huge innovation in, in role-playing yeah.
1: games. It'd be interesting to kind of like, in in a sort of like History Channel X-esque thing, just like, hey, what are the innovations that we take for granted? Like, where did they come from? Right. Uh, just because, you know, it is now, the hobby's old enough now that it is, we're in probably like a fourth or fifth generation of games.
0: Oh, yeah, easily, yeah, I would think so. You want me to take over? Sure. So that we're at anyway, the point uh, I'm making? Uh, okay. Anyway, the point I'm making is that one good thing that came out of moving away from my friends is that I was finally able to make my dream of running an ongoing campaign a reality. I'm not sure why I was finally able to overcome my lack of self-discipline and make this thing happen, but I suspect that being freed from the burden of arranging a physical meeting place and driving, th- and driving there went a long way toward making it possible for, for me. My players seem happy with the game, and we all appreciate being able to spend time together each week despite having been scattered across the country like dandelion seeds on the wind. I do miss the physical experience of playing RPGs, but playing remotely slash digitally works really well for me. So that's my good news. Now I want to bring up an entirely different subject and see what you all think. I'm still a relative newbie when it comes to attending game conventions. I've been to a couple, and while... The few I've been to in my adult life have been great fun. I've had a repeated experience that has caused my already shaky self-confidence to falter. When I, was at, when I attend a gaming convention, one of the things I look for is games I've never played before. Well, yeah, that's a great opportunity to go play games you've never played before. A convention seems to me like a perfect opportunity. Look, it's almost like I pre-read the email. Um, to try something out that I've been curious about or, if I own it, have never had the opportunity to actually play. So I think I've assumed that at least some people would have the same desire. I've been to two conventions and at least one I participated in online in which I signed up to run a game that was older or out of print. I stayed up late the night before the convention to print out all the handouts I wanted I wanted the players to have. Excuse me. And concocted a few remaining plot details, I wanted to be in the session as I drove across the states to be there. Then, no one signed up to play. This wasn't always the case. One notable exception saw two wonderful players sign up at the last minute, but the other times I didn't get a bite. Even, Even that there were other pretty obscurely themed games going on that got massive attendance, I wondered if maybe It was because i was a relative i was a relative unknown in these podcast-based community conventions could be and maybe these heavily attended games were just being run by people who were popular in online forums or is is it that i'm crap at writing game blurbs i don't think so but of course i have to wonder have any of you had any similar experiences you come up with what you think will be a fun and unique scenario for a convention, put together materials and handouts, and no one shows up. What do you do with that? Does it bother you? Or should I just grow a thicker skin? Uh, is, is it just a natural consequence of running an older game system? When you put yourself out there like that, how do you feel with the complete lack of interest in your game, especially when it comes when it happens more than once? Thanks for... Taking the time to read my email and I've been listening to you folks for years and been and being able to hear the old SoCal Renfair crowd talk about gaming is like getting to hang out with old friends for a while. Devon in Portland
1: Well, I I think we accidentally talked about that. Which is the difference between older games and esoteric games. Right. Or unknown games. And older games are older games for a reason. Um, and that would be my assumption. It could be. Is, is that maybe these people who get tons of people play relatively unknown systems. Um, as opposed to systems from, like, eons ago. Um. Especially if they're relatively unknown systems from eons ago. Like, if you're playing unknown systems from the late 80s, um, that may be more difficult to get people in than relatively unknown systems from now.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and you have and a lot of games that are being produced now are descendants of more popular games like the PBTA and Fate, you have, you have people who've sort of made and kind of given away systems that people can use as frameworks to build whatever, whatever game they're, they're building. So even if you're playing a game that no one's ever heard of, there's a, it's, if, it was, if it was made in the last several years, there's a good possibility you probably are already familiar with the rules to a certain extent anyway. Mm. As opposed to games in the 80s when it was like everyone's trying to come up with new shit and some of them are coming up with good stuff and some of them aren't and some of them are are coming up with ways that make the game run faster and better and maybe if simulationism is your thing maybe a more stimulus game and then there's other people who are like don't seem to understand the idea the concept of time at all and whether or not i mean I, did you ever did you ever play space opera it was a science fiction game came out i think it was by uh, a company called the company was called ice i can't remember what it stood for But it was a uh, science fiction space... Well, space opera. Science fiction role-playing game. And we made characters, and it took us like four hours to make characters. This is in the... This is in the... We were in junior high, I think late junior high, so 8th or ninth grade. And I I recall... Us giving making characters and then we're like we're too tired to play now. It's, been, it's t- this is taken too long. And we never played the game. We never played the game. I even had a copy wow. of it because a couple of us bought it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, and then, then of course, course Traveller m- far simpler game. Even though I kind of gave it a little bit of shit because of the combat table compared to Space Operates <laughs> very sleek design, <laughs> but. I think as far as the popularity thing goes, writing the blurb certainly is going to, a good blurb is going to help because if people are, first off, you got to, it has to be a system people are interested in playing. And if you pick a, an obscure system that no one has ever played before, you've only got so much time at a game convention, right? You figure you've got, assuming that you're a normal person who needs sleep and you're not like, you know, some crystal meth. Nazi tank commander. <laughs> you're only going to probably play 3 ga- 3 game sessions a day assuming 4 hour sessions. Maybe 4 if you're hardcore. So if a whole game convention is 3 days, that's like eh, somewhere between 9 and 12 sessions max.
1: I've never played that much of a game. No,
0: company. no, I don't know anyone who has, <laughs> but I'm sure there are people that are like I'm here to play games, I'm going to play. Especially if you live someplace where you don't have, you know, a gaming mm. community that you can you can tap into it, and game conventions are your only outlet for it. I could see doing that. But, I mean, I mean, the busiest I've been has been two... Well, no, there have been some times where I've played three games in one day. And I was tired. I was tired by the end of it. And that's like run one and play two, or run two and play one. Because running them is more exhausting than playing them, obviously. But um, you've only got so much time. So do you want to... Like, if you've got three game sessions, and you can pick what you want to play... Do you want to gamble away a, a, one of your 4-hour time slots on a game you've never heard of? Or are you going to instead pick a game that you're excited to play but you never had a chance to play? You see what I'm saying? So if you're like if you if you pick something super obscure like Space Opera or something like that, a lot of people unless they're unless they were in their 50s have probably never heard of it and anyone in their 50s is going gonna, is gonna, who has any experience with it at all is going to look and go no
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so i mean but there's not a there's not a lot of oh what's the term i'm looking for the nostalgia about games i mean occasionally you get it but for the most part at a game convention nostalgia is is not a thing
1: i could see like paranoia yeah yeah that's like, true um like there are certain ones that are like wacky enough, but were never like super popular enough tune. Or, yeah tune
0: yeah um like stuff that stands out that would would never get probably never get made again yeah but i but i, I think that's one of the problems because if you if it's an obscure game and it's an old game, there's a reason that d and d's in its fifth edition. Now there are, there are changes I would have made in it that they didn't, but I, can't, I would certainly say that they improved the game. You look at first, second, third edition compared with what, what's out now. I'm, there's a marked improvement there. and I mean look at look at old traveller compared to mongoose traveler 1.0 or 2.0. It's like they, wow, that's hugely streamlined system now. There's no reason to play the old traveler because the new traveler the mongoose traveler is so much better. Mm-hmm. It's just they took they 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 took a a good game from the seventies and modernized it and made it better and there's a reason that we've had a, the, that modernization has happened it it didn't happen just be on a lark it happened because people were like you now this is this this part of this game is not fun is there some way we can fix this to make it more fun oh look we did we succeeded so that there's so the nostalgia thing itself may always be a hard sell
1: now if you do. Because I enjoy doing this sort of thing. If you do decide to take an older system and modernize it yourself, and put that in the blurb, that might garner interest. That's true. From people. That's true. Um, It may not because they don't know who you are and if you're any good at making game systems or things like that. Um, But uh, I mean, that's a fun thing. I did that with um, uh, I think it was fourth edition, where it was like. um the g m never rolls any dice. This is before p b t a came out oh right yeah, and, like yeah. the g m rolling <laughs> dice sucks, so I'm gonna change all this stuff around so that only you are rolling dice so that you get like the highs and lows from dodging as well as the highs and lows from attacking and I don't have to worry about any of that shit right <clears throat> um but uh yeah I, I i think it's just a hard sell to begin with um, It is. like I, I I ran Tendra Bantra Zero a couple times, and that one is relatively obscure, but I still had people go like, I've been waiting to play this game for, like, you know, since I left Japan. Or, I've been waiting to play this game for, like, four years, and finally somebody is running it, and I was going to be damned if I wasn't going to make it. Right. Um, I mean, there is a thing with people, like, Happy Jack's host running games. There is that popularity thing where people show up to take a look at it or uh, you know want to play, etc. Right. Um, so uh, we can't really talk too much about that, I don't think. Um, but uh, even the quote-unquote obscure games that I've ran are, are relatively modern, so people have heard of it and want to play it because no one's had the ch- they've never had a chance to play it. Whereas the older games if they've heard of it maybe they've played it and so maybe they don't want to play it again
0: right now, um, I, I remember a group of four of us we we had a groups group kind of through college and i think it was, i think we were out of college by then we were we were out of college by then and there were four of us who got together from our old college group and we decided to run and this is at the Strategic gun Conventions, are local ones. This is a long time ago. This is probably in the late '80s, early '90s. Long time ago, and we decided that we were all going to run a GURPS RPG, like a tournament almost, where and we had dumb prizes that we made and gave away to people. But we had uh, we there were four, I think there were four of us. There were four of us, and we ran them through the same adventure and then we looked at um I, we figured out some way to score which players made it to the next the next thing and it was by character because we made pre-gens so it's like here's the thief character being played in four separate tables who was the best thief character and the gms all got together and then we let the players know which players could were, were in the next round Mm. That was all full tables, and everyone who got invited to the to the that second second session, the championship session or whatever we called it, um, they all uh, they all showed up, even though they weren't scheduled to. And that was long before Happy Jacks. I mean, that's a decade, too Well, no, twenty years before we ever did have two thousand. No. Yeah, twenty years before we did, or ten years, twenty years before we did Happy and then the next game session or the next game con, Bill and I came up with Uncle Melvin's Impossible GURPS Dungeon, where we made like <laughs> the stupidest, it was the dumbest idea for a dungeon ever, and it basically was like each room is its own little torture chamber for PCs. And, it, and, it, and the, you know, our backstory on it was it's this giant, huge, magical, mechanical thing. So as soon as you touch the doorknob to go to the next room, you can hear machinery moving, and it's randomly moving a room to put oh, in place it, when you open the door.
1: It's the, the Cube or something. Have you seen that movie? No. Um, I think it's called The Cube. And it, it's basically that, where each room has these, well, some rooms are safe and some rooms are not. Right. And yeah, if you yeah. go into a not safe room, it kills you. Uh-huh. Like there's one where like monomolecular wild turns some guy into kitty show, um, and so but the rooms change. There's there is this huge cube that has all of these uh, rooms in it, and if you try and go back backwards, there are different rooms behind you. They might might not be a safe.
0: That's room. exactly how this worked. Yeah. When did that movie come out?
1: Did they steal uh, our idea? I think they stole your idea. <laughs> the, the only problem with that movie is that they had. Uh, so there's a group of people who found each other. They don't know why they're there, et cetera. I think it's, like, some sort of, like, experiment or something. But, like, there's this guy who's, uh, like, an idiot savant who can look at a number and tell if it's prime or not. And <laughs> if there's a prime number, it is safe, or prime number isn't. I don't know what. But, like, two-thirds through the movie, when they figured this out... Um, uh, um there's a room that should have been safe that wasn't. And somebody goes, Oh, it's not prime numbers, it's factors of prime numbers, and then I <laughs> left. <laughs> I left. I was done. That's
0: funny. So um, So we we weren't we didn't run the Uncle Melvin's Impossible GURPS Dungeon or GURPS Adventure, whatever it was called, as a as a schedule thing. We ran it in open gaming. But and this may be this has more to do with the fact that i had already been working fair for a year or two but i would get because we had made bill had like gotten sharpies and found some blank coffee cups and made like a picture of uncle melvin whoever the fuck that was and it says i survived uncle melvin's (laughs) and he gave those away to players who made it through the adventure no 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 you got a mug if your character died (laughs) <laughs> we made a bunch of pre-gen characters, and it's and, it, and if you got if your character was killed, we gave you a coffee mug, and it said "I got Melvin," <laughs> <laughs> and, and we ran it in open gaming, and I got up and I and I started hawking. In the middle of open gaming. <laughs> come join Uncle Melvin's Impossible GURPS Adventure. And and I had a whole spiel like like see <laughs> the wonder of the blah 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 blah. Hear the blah 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 you know, Like this 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 big Barker thing from the nineteen twenties or, or whatever at a at a frickin' circus or or a carnival. And of course, people were like, huh? And so they all come sit. Now we had a fucking full table. We probably had seven or eight people playing this stupid Random dungeon, and it was it was a it was a percentage dice. We had literally made a hundred rooms for a fucking dungeon, and we'd roll on the table, and we'd say, Ah, it's this room. Okay, clank, and then we'd sort of, and you can hear this when you listen through the door because you know, there was all foreshadowing shit. You'd open the door up, and it'd be something. It might be guys with laser rifles. Who knows? It could be some kind of monster. It it, it was all different things. Some of them were traps, and then we'd scratch it off, and that and it was a continuous game. It's like whenever a new player came in, they'd open the door into a blank room and there'd be a new player there. A new character, then. That's that was our continuity, right? And then and then say, oh, let's go to the next room. Roll the dice. Oh no, we already scratched that one out. Roll them again. Okay, it's this one that now. And and we how do we play that thing for hours and hours? Just on this one day, but it was freaking hysterical. But there again, there's not not everyone in the had has the confidence or the idiocy to stand up in a room full of gamers and start barking like they're working at a fucking beanbag throw. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you're carny
0: right exactly <clears throat> so i mean I, I, I if you want to i i would say and, and this may not be the advice you want to hear but if you want to run games at game conventions that people will sign up for run popular games i hate to say the d word but there's a lot of players for that game if you want to play if you i mean even, I, know, I know a lot of people don't like it especially i mean it well, this is not a dnd podcast so we're one of the one of the podcasts that isn't about D. but one it, of the four right <laughs> no there's more than that probably yeah, i know
1: but well uh, but all of those are probably about bbta
0: <laughs> that's true
1: but they're the two kinds of gamers it,
0: it, yes so it, but if you if you want to make sure that you have players sign up you got to run a popular system don't run something ob- obscure i mean
1: and if you do run something obscure don't take it personally
0: yeah you can't cuz i mean it it is a people have a limited m- amount of time at a game convention and they're there you know people plan that shit out i do you know i know what i'm going to be doing what day and 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 and, and tr- always schedule where i'm going to have my meal breaks and stuff like that and and it and it's like you know, the we have had people intentionally sign up for stuff that did not sound fun in order to have a good story for the podcast. But most people don't do that. If they if it, they look at if they're looking at it and it's like some obscure game they've never heard of from the '80s and they've never heard of it, that's a good reason not to sign up. You know what I mean? Because if it was a really good game, you, it probably would still be around in some version or another. So I don't know. That's a that that's just kind of an issue with with uh running something obscure. Not probably what you want to hear. But run D D. <laughs> <laughs> and if you really want people to sign up, we're Adventures League. Of course, that's different kind of role playing, but it is it is there. Or okay. whatever they call it.
1: Is Adventures League? I have no idea. The,
0: that's the that organized I think it's Adventures League.
1: If if there's one thing that isn't my jam, it's Adventures League. Right. Just because of, of the format of it. Right. Um but but people love it and people love running it because you get to have like this constant story that keeps moving forward. You you, you have it built in that you're going to run a, a campaign. You must run a campaign. Right. Um so
0: all right. Uh, hopefully we answered your question. I think we did. But I know, yeah. I know, I know that, I mean, I, I, had, I, I volunteered to run games, obviously before the podcast, and, and doing the podcast certainly changes whether or not I, my expectations for whether or not people will sign up for my games or not. I've actually gotten to the point, we got to the point where when we, we used to run games <clears throat> and ask for, to, for the pre-registration to be completely filled. Right, because the the by default Strategicon only fills up half the seats at a game with pre-registration, so that there's seats for walk-ups. right? And then you can go and you can look at the board and sign you put your name down as a you know the other seats or whatever. And we got at, we, for for years we were would only sign up we would sign up all the seats so you could pre-reg and fill up our entire tables all of our tables. And we got asked by the convention to not do that, to allow people to come in, and they actually had some good some good reasoning reasoning for that. A, there's a, they have a lot of walk-ins. There's a lot of people who don't pre-register, so that, that gives a it gives them a chance to sign up for a game, and also it, it, it improves our visibility because now there's a possibility that someone who's never heard of the podcast might sign up for a game and go, oh, it was a pretty good game. I might listen to this show. You know what I mean? So. But that, yeah. I, th- I think the best advice I can give if you want people to sign up for a game is to run something people want to play. That you know people are going to want to play. And that is not what everyone's favorite system is.
1: Or be funny in your blurb. That, that also helps. helps. If Don't you can, be serious.
0: I mean, because I, I started thinking about when do I look, click through? Because on, on ours, you have to click on the game to see the blurb. And then it comes up and it will pop up, right? Or mouse over. You have to mouse over, at least, and then the, the blurb comes up. And I thought, and, and and it still needs to be a system that I'm at least interested in or has a weird, peculiar name or something like that that's going to make me get at least curious enough to make that extra effort to click. You know what I mean? Um, then there's people like Tomes, who run extremely obscure games that no one's heard of. Like, what was that one? Herkimer? That, oh yeah! I can't remember what, somewhere in, from somewhere in Southeast Asia. I can't remember exactly where it was from, but um, and it was like a, this little self-published game that these dudes wrote, and uh, people signed up for it, even, even though no one knew what it was.
1: Well, uh, but he also has name recognition. That's true. Yeah,
0: and he's also known as like the 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 game, the role-playing game discoverer
1: yeah. <laughs> he is he is the hippiest of the role-playing gamers <laughs> like he's too hippie for woodstock i mean
0: <laughs> all right now i want to get to we're, we're going to try to do a we're going to try to build a campaign world and we're going I'm, to i'm just sitting down one ground rule it's fantasy Okay. So it's like, as a general general genre, it's fantasy rather than science fiction or modern. So it's and fan- it's
1: not science fantasy either. No, it is, no, it's fantasy. It
0: is straight up fantasy. Straight up fantasy. Uh, so what I'm going to ask is that every host, when they come on, give me a place of significance that could be a country, a city, a province, a temple, a business, whatever it is, or an NPC, or a historical event, or a legendary artifact, or something like that. Something that sort of contributes to sort of the, either the backstory or geographically or character wise, you know, cast wise, something that makes up this world. And, and we, this is the first one, so we have literally nothing to go on. And what I'll do in, in future ones is I'll kind of summarize the stuff that's been put in so people can start building on top of things if they want. Cause that, that, all, as you start building a world, that starts informing other things that happen, I think. So, mm-hmm. do you have it? Do you do you, you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first?
1: Um, I mean, I have two places that okay. I want to do, so I can do just one. Do do one, do one. Do one. I'll do one, then you do one, and, and then I'm going
0: to type. One. I'm going to type because we got to keep all this tr- track of all this.
1: Okay. Um, what is your place? So the the first one, I think the one that I like the best is called the Sanctuary Grove, and the Sanctuary Grove. Um, Uh, It's basically based on the Mariposa Grove. So just huge, giant uh, trees, like, uh, you know, giant redwoods. Um, But it's also a cloud forest. So it is constantly covered in maybe not always pea soup. You know, there are times that you can see maybe 50 to 100 feet. But it is is a a constantly changing and rolling sort of... uh, Uh, fog that that just never goes away. And so the giant trees um, supposedly poke up above this cloud surface. Um, Like sunlight does come down and there are meadows and grasses and other trees, etc. But it is dominated by these uh, basically giant redwoods. Um and the giant redwoods are <coughs> form a gestalt sentient being.
0: Ooh, there you go.
1: Um and they have and they there are all these little tricks they can do um if they don't like something, like drop a giant pine cone on their head or
0: or And pine cones from from very tall oh, redwoods can kill you.
1: Very easily, yes. <laughs> um uh, and, uh, you know, there's there's flora and fauna in here that just isn't found anywhere else. So some of it can be used alchemically or magically. Like, there's significance to this place. Um, but also, these trees, like, maybe it's the pine cones, or maybe it's... I think it's, like... Maybe they have two different nuts or something, just to be weird. But they, they will drop these things called yoe nuts... Uh, Spell that for y- me. I-O-W-E-H. And these yo nuts nuts um, are like these little hard things. They're maybe like two inches in diameter and they will sprout legs and travel around and attach themselves to dead things and like crawl onto the spine and attach itself into like the uh, nervous system of something that is recently dead. And create what's called in this world a homadryad. And so homadryad are tree zombies that and it it basically makes like an exoskeleton, like a powered exoskeleton.
0: I didn't know how to spell that word.
1: Hamadryad is H A M A. And then Dryad. D R Y A D Dryad. Yeah. Um so like they're like these vines that come out of it and attach to like the arms uh like you know like uh, armored exo- or not armored, but like an exoskeleton made out of like vines or wood or stuff yeah it's like, like
0: that. A, it yeah it's it's a living plant exoskeleton yeah kinda
1: for a dead thing that is controlled <laughs> by <laughs> this gestalt uh <clears throat>
0: oh, so it's controlled by the, sh- the 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 collective tree brain. Or-
1: I, I would say that it works for like like it does things for it, but maybe not directly controlled.
0: So it's it, it has some autonomy. at least. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I,
1: yeah. These are uh, I would say that <coughs> they're more zombie-like than other things, but they are freakishly strong and freakishly fast. Um. Uh. But yeah, have have autonomy to do what the 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 tree Gestalt. Uh, sentience want them to do. Okay. Um, and they protect the trees and the uh, uh, the grove, etc. Now, there is one uh, like actual like being that they can talk to, which is th- uh, the guardian. I mean, you can come up with a better name. Oh, this is probably like, a, like an NPC. Um, yeah, that's, that pro- is, that's probably
0: that's yeah. probably that's. Prob-
1: let's, let's do let's do that later. Yeah, something else, and we'll have somebody make their things up. Okay, um, but yeah, so it's it's this highly valuable, um, basically magical grove of giant trees that will kill you <laughs> um, with plant zombies.
0: Now let me just ask a couple questions. Okay. Is this a hostile place, or do you have to go in with hostile intent to get screwed with?
1: Um, I think it—I mean, (laughs) do you have a druid? I mean, I think if you—I think there there are things you can do to come in with to make the grove non-hostile to you, but they are difficult to find or know because most people just die. Okay. But I think, I think most people you go through, if you go through and start harvesting, let's do this. If you, if you start harvesting stuff, mm-hmm. then batch it happens. But if you just walk through and, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and you have some nice hikes.
0: Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like if someone just goes yeah. in to admire the beauty of the trees.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's only if you're here to take things.
0: Okay. From <clears throat> the trees. Got it.
1: Um, or if you die of natural causes, you will probably become a Hamadriad anyway. Right, right, um, and uh, you. It might be like a fun thing to like in the corner of your eyes. see like these creepy spider walking
0: <laughs> plant
1: zombies there, always around you, <laughs> and they're like these hard little balls of nothing. Like even killing them is difficult. But if you killed one, then you have a real problem on your hands.
0: Then all of a sudden, poop boop, they start dropping yeah. all around. <laughs> okay.
1: Um so yeah. Um and for like the fauna and stuff, you like sky's the limit for weird stuff you can have if you want. Uh like you can have like normal uh uh normal plants and animals, but this is essentially an island where nothing can come in and nothing goes out. So you can have like island dwarfism or island giganticism of things that you would normally have. Okay. So, you know, you can have 12-foot foxes and, you know, 6-inch tall bears.
0: No, is it literally an island, or is it sort of just like its own ecosystem as an island? It's an own ecosystem as an island.
1: It's not literally an island. And so, in my head, it looks like the Mariposa Grove, but most people haven't seen that. Um... So, like pictures of that might be useful, um, or just of like the uh, the High Sierras in general. That's technically, the High Sierras, but like the High Sierras in general.
0: Where is the Miraposa Grove? Oh, it's in Sequoia. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, Sequoias are big fucking trees.
1: They're huge
0: until you actually see them. I, I don't think you appreciate how big they are because they're not the tallest trees and they're not the widest trees, but there are sure. no trees as tall and as wide as sequoias. Yeah, That's the only way I can really describe it. They are big fucking trees, and they used to cut them down and make cabinets out of them.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Because he was like, I
1: make a lot of wood out of these things. <laughs> I only have to cut one down.
0: Right? Oh yeah, you build a whole house <laughs> except, out of one tree, probably. Yeah,
1: except that there are only eighty in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it, yeah, that. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, just like. They're they're like these giant redwood giant sequoias that are even bigger and even taller. Um and they're just kind of dotted everywhere. But again here, like there's only like eighty or so, maybe a hundred. Um and they're all intelligent, but their intelligence is all like together into one super being.
0: Right. Okay. Alright, my I'm I also have a place and I don't have a name for it. But this is—I'm I'm kind of creating two things because this is this is a city that was built next to a bridge uh, f- that crosses an enormously wide river. Mm. I'm talking about a river that's maybe three quarters of a mile, a mile wide—huge, wow. huge river, swift-running river—and
1: so impassable except for this bridge, except for like, the bridge, literally impassable,
0: right? and the bridge no one knows who built it but it's definitely not a natural formation but there's but there's no records of when this bridge was built and it is built out of like stone it looks almost looks like it was carved and it's so sturdy people have been building onto the sides of the bridge because being right next to the water or over the water is extremely handy for all kinds of commerce and and businesses and such And,
1: and sanitary reasons
0: exactly and it has the bridge is not only extremely long going across this extremely wide river but people have been building on either side of this of this bridge over the water for centuries to the point where it's not only extremely long bridge it's also an extremely wide bridge and people now live on it
1: so kind of like London Bridge back in the day, kind
0: of yes, but way
1: wider. But yeah, right. It's like and way longer.
0: So it, it is so wide, and has been this way for so long that beneath the bridge there is its own ecosystem of of lightless animals that no longer need light, like uh-huh. eyeless fish and things like that live underneath this thing as well.
1: That's awesome.
0: And it has cre- and it has create and the, the problem is, of course, as people built this bridge out, no one built it high enough for ships to be able to go underneath it. So the only thing you can put underneath it are very small, like shallow, like very low-profile craft, like rowboats or things like that, or canoes or something. But starting probably a dozen years ago. People would go would, would go underneath it in a, like a, a, a rowboat or a raft or something, and they wouldn't come out on the other side, and no one is knows why. That's awesome. So, <laughs> and, and I'll try to remember that and type because <laughs> <as> I do.
1: <laughs> does the um, does the level of the water ever go up and down?
0: Uh, probably it does. Uh, not seasonally, but it probably goes down over a course of maybe like a, a decades long cycle of dr- of drought. You know, and and ra- mm-hmm. rainy rainy times, so it probably does. You probably you know that it probably narrows a little bit, but it's probably still when it narrows, it's probably still half a mile wide. Mm-hmm. But you get all the you know the mud, the, the muddy shores and, and stuff like that.
1: But Do people find stuff in there.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 and, but they never find remnants of the boats that go underneath it and don't come out on the other end.
1: Yeah, they just. Disappeared from existence. Exactly.
0: Okay. So that's That's, awesome. that's that. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play us out. What is it this one? This one. Nope, this one. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for season 28, episode 12 of Happy Checkers Overview Podcast. My name is Stu. And this is Tappy. And I'll see you uh, two weeks at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. At happyjacks.org slash live. Until then, stay safe and we'll see you. We this hobby from Michigan to Australia.